AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Matt, can you tell us about uh, router vulnerability that we should be interested in? Yeah, this one is pretty neat. There's a group called Bad Packets Report, and they do some interesting research, and they have um, honeypots sitting on the internet looking for stuff that comes by, you know, attack attempts and things like that. And they recently found out that there's this set of bugs, actually, in these Cisco small business router VPN devices, the RV325 and the RV320, a set of vulnerabilities that allow remote code execution. And the short version of remote code execution is Box is totally owned, for the most part. Because apparently, there's a way you can connect to them and ask them for their configuration, and it tells you all of the variables. And included in those variables are the username and the hashed password. Yeah, you have to be authenticated in order to ask for that kind of stuff. Right? You would think so. But the other bug is a command injection bug, which allows you to execute arbitrary commands. So it turns out there's a population of about 9,000 vulnerable devices between those two models out on the internet. Cisco's acknowledged that this is a, a vulnerability, and they've also issued patches. Great. So if you're using one of these at home, or in your small business, or wherever that may be, uh, now is the time to patch, because these are both pretty critical bugs. This is the kind of vulnerability that you would think would get sort of weeded out during a testing phase of a device like this. One of them is a bug that should be very relatively easy to find, command injection. And one of them is a debug feature in a system that was there for test and should have been removed before it went to production. To have two of them, you know, it's, it's, it's quite something. First of all, there is an information disclosure vulnerability which leads to the remote code execution. I think that the remote code execution um, is helped by it, at least in the proof of concept. They go for that exposed information first and then they use it in the they code execution later on. So it's sort of a one-two punch. With all the information you get, you should be able to run lots of commands in a way that they'll do something, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of when you call it like a remote code execution. Like, that's it's basically up to the attacker at that point what it is they want to do with the box. They're not really constrained anymore, which is why it's so critical. I mean, even if they hadn't had the, the remote code execution bug, if they had a way to log into this device, they'd have the credentials. You said there's a patch available besides, um, it's advisable to chain the Wi-Fi password. Yes, that's absolutely okay. the case. And if you, you think your device may have been compromised, it's best to you know okay. change the password. I would even say restore to a clean backup mm -hmm. configuration if you've got one. Yeah. To protect yourself from this vulnerability, if you have one of these devices, you can install the patches that Cisco has provided. It's also a good idea to reset your password on the device. And if it were up to me, I would ask you to also reset the device to factory settings entirely. It wasn't millions of devices, I think there were 8,000 devices out there, uh, and hopefully you know, more and more of those are getting updated every day. Ganesh, it looks like the guys at abuse.ch have a new project out, and it looks pretty promising. What can you tell us? Sometime last March 2018, they started a project called URL Hash. They want to identify uh, malware URLs, actually a website which are uh, uh, serving the malware, identify them and coordinate to basically take down them. In the next 10 months, they're able to take down 100,000 malware websites. Great. From the contributions from uh, about 265 security researchers uh, worldwide. That's really good. I've heard of similar efforts relating to spam and phishing, where people share phishing URLs. But in this case, it seems to be specifically for malware download URLs. But even though there's a positive spin on it, there seems to be some numbers which we need to talk about, which will give some light about it, what's going on here. 
One of the interesting facts is uh, the average takedown time is about eight days, a little over eight a week. Eight days, wow. Eight days, 10 hours and 24 minutes to be exact. But still, that's a significantly lower number, but that's enough time to infect lots of uh, thousands of... And I, I would as your guess to say that most of those malware download locations don't even last for eight days. I mean, yeah. The way that we've seen you know, cyber criminals cycle through the URLs that they use, they go away so quickly, yeah, because yep, yep. as soon as researchers figure out where they are and start mm -hmm. blocking them, they're no longer valuable. Yeah, the other side of the spectrum is uh, they found out uh, the average time to take down in some parts of Asia Pack, which is basically in China, they took more than a month. Wow. So, so that's a wide spectrum of reports actually they are giving. The goal for them is to bring that number to the lower the number, the better. This has been noticed by the various ISPs worldwide. They're able to actually take down their websites, and in that sense, actually, it helped in the bigger picture. I think there's an incentive to try to keep whatever IP address ranges you're responsible for as clean as possible. You don't want to be spreading malware from anywhere in, in a range that you're responsible for. Mm -hmm. Sure. So the services you're offering, there's an acceptable use of those services, which usually spells right out, you're not gonna use the service to host uh, malicious sites, to distribute malware, carry out denial of service attacks. Yeah, that, that does kind of make a good point, is that everyone who's participating, their own networks will get cleaner. Now, it seems like it's a voluntary participation, naturally. There are still gonna be bulletproof hosts and other people out there who have no interest in cleaning up their own networks because they make money from doing that. It does at least help show where the people who are willing to try and fix the problem reside, and then maybe there's a way you can put more pressure on the folks who are resisting that. The crux of this story is, I think, sharing is caring. Even though it's an incredible effort, but there's still something needs to be done. I believe you know, the eight days time frame is too much to you know, basically take down a malware website. Security researchers all providing their talent and their insights. It all gets pooled together to be much more effective than it would have been if just one lab or just a couple people were doing it. Unite everybody to get things, to get problems resolved and addressed and to make things uh, safer. Hi, Michael. From moving away from China to Japan, you have a real interesting story about the Japanese government initiative to secure IoT devices. Elaborate a little bit on that. Yes, I'd love to share it. Japan's hosting the Olympics in summer 2020, and it takes years to get ready, right? You're yeah. building things, getting everything right, and cybersecurity is one of the areas that they're taking a look at pre-Olympics. This is interesting because it took an act of Congress in Japan. They got a law changed to give the government authority they didn't have before, mm -hmm. and I want to share that with you, get your reactions to this. You don't often see a, a country passing a law to give a, a government agency rights to clean up systems. We'll see how effective it is. It might get uh, set a precedent uh, for other governments to do similar things. You put something out on the internet and it gets scanned every day, sometimes by attackers or security researchers, but usually you wouldn't expect your own country's government to be the one scanning your device. This law does give this department of the Japanese government the authority to do that, mm -hmm. to go around the country looking for people who aren't taking good care of their IoT devices. Well, I think you said scanning the devices, right? But you, there's a key point to that that I think goes a little bit beyond what we would expect from a government, I think. And it's that they're willing to try breaking into the devices by trying a bunch of different passwords. That's, that's the case, right? Right, they try default credentials and then they have a dictionary they're gonna use 
doesn't exactly tell you how big that dictionary is, but mm -hmm. they're going to try easily guess common passwords, and they're going to consider you as needing remediation if you are in the dictionary with your wow. weak password. Yeah, so that's that's unprecedented, I think. Probably the driving force is what happened with the Winter CL Olympics. In this case, some of the bad actors leveraged compromised IoT devices to disrupt the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympics. I can't deny it has appeal. Like it, it certainly would be the one organization within a country that you would think would have the authority to scan literally everybody in the country and try and find those bugs. I think there are a lot of people in other countries who would say, "No way." It's sure. mine. Don't, don't, uh, don't. And when you tell them, hey, we found a vulnerability on your device, they'd be upset about that, mm -hmm. that you found it. Like, mm -hmm. how dare you? Basically, well, at first I would say they better be darn sure they know which IP addresses actually belong to Japan. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they have that. Any leakage of that means that they're scanning a foreign country's IP space and trying to break into to routers, which, yeah. It would be a different class of traffic at that point it, in time. <laughs> Sure. In this article, they're saying it, that the scanning will be starting from next week, and they're targeting about 200 million IoT devices. I guess once they have, they will share with the ISPs as well as with the government officials. We do not know what they're going to do with those results at this point. Mm. Right. I mean, do they have a plan for remediating these devices? Are they going to say, go buy a new device? Do they say, here's where the patches are located and how to patch it? I think the follow-up is just as important right. as the scanning itself. I'd like to see what the follow-up is going to be, because finding devices with weak credentials by itself doesn't solve the problem. It only tells you what it is. Finding out how do you deal with the IoT um, hygiene problem at a, at a country scale. I mean, it's an experiment that I'd like to see succeed. I hope they're, they're giving this access to the employees who really know what they're doing. Not It's not falling into some sort of wrong hands. That's the only concern I have. Sure, the data set of vulnerable yeah. devices is going to be valuable. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And then hopefully this approach they're taking isn't that intrusive, so they're not actually taking devices offline or making them reboot or mm -hmm. anything that the user would have uh, service degradation or interrupted mm -hmm. as a result. I'm sure you'd hear about it if there was, yeah. Right, exactly. I'd also wonder you know, how many people are going to go and, and rent small uh, like VMs somewhere in Japan just to see what the traffic looks like. Is that a kind of a weird thing to be like, oh, I wonder what it looks like when Japan scans you? <laughs> what other what things they might be trying? Like, what's in Japan's word list? I'd be curious. Oh, they might have the password uh, dictionary available for download. You never know. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's possible they're using the same password dictionaries as some of the major botnets. So who knows? Maybe there's nothing new in there, but maybe there, maybe there is something new. Something for us to keep an eye on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at this week's internet weather. Uh, the top 10 most probe ports for January 28th. Uh, at the top is 23TCP, that's Telnet. 1433 is MS SQL, swapping places with 445, which is SMB. 8545 is up four spots, that's Ethereum. 22TCP is SSH, 3389 is Remote Desktop Protocol. 81TCP is an alternate web port. 80ICMP is Ping. 80TCP is regular old HTTP. And 8080TCP is another web port, but more often than not, it is used for proxying. Taking a look at the most sources probing, so this is the number of individual sources and not the volume. 445 is still at the top. In fact, pretty much everything hasn't moved that much except for one, yeah. which is very interesting. 445, we've talked about 23, 8080, 5431. 80TCP, of course, 123 UDP, which is NTP. 80ICMP is ping again, 5555 is Android Debug Bridge. 
81 TCP is web and 1433 is MS SQL. So, the major item of note in this week's internet weather was the uptick in scanning on port 123 UDP, which is NTP. 123, some spike, really, quite a big spike. And I'm only showing 30 days here, but those two spikes are the biggest spikes in the last 365 days. And it's a small number of sources in Italy, Great Britain, and the US. And there's some weird things going on with the sources here. The source IPs appear to be, in some cases, non-routable RFC 1918 addresses. So, I mean, it looks like it's scanning, but there's some sort of shenanigans going on here. Those network time servers have been exploited before in amplification attacks. Yes, absolutely. They're yep. part of, and I think that explains if they're non-routable IP addresses you're seeing, probably that's what is happening here. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely interesting stuff, because like, anything that's UDP typically can be used for a reflective attack, uh, but there is a special command called monlist, I mm -hmm. think, in NTP that you can get a big bang for your buck in terms of amplification. Very small request, much bigger payload. I'd love to know what's going on there. I would love to think that it is research, uh, but I can't be sure. 445 is pretty much the same as where we left it. I mean, it sort of wavers around 70 to 80,000 scan sources per hour. This one seems to suggest a, a day of the week pattern. I absolutely yeah. <laughs> agree with you, yeah. When we saw the internet weather, there was one chart uh, that I particularly liked just because I could see the days of the week uh, clearly in the data. They're infected and they just scan when they're on and you turn them off and they stop scanning. So you have Monday through Friday and then you have how many people are turning these machines on on Saturday and then even fewer turning them on on Sunday, right. but then you have your base that just keep their machines on all the time. Right, yeah. exactly. And those are my most likely are servers. We saw a huge uptick in this a couple years ago with WannaCry. It has never really come down since then. Mm -hmm. So our theory is typically that this is uh, WannaCry or similar bug related. A 1433 has, has seen um, a bit of an interest in the last couple of months. You can see 60 days here, and these are the scanned sources. When you see a concerted increase like this, typically it's a single botnet mm -hmm. that's doing all of it. It's not as high as it had been. I mean, it's peaked around 11,500 scan sources per hour. We're down towards maybe uh, 10, 10 and a half these days. Scan flows in port 23 TCP Telnet. We've been following Telnet for forever. It really hasn't changed that much either in the last 60 days. There have been a couple of intermittent spikes, but still, still trucking. 55555 TCP, not to be confused with 5555 TCP. One more five. A fifth five. A fifth five. 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 Correct. <laughs> I was on the show last time and there was a, a spike in that. You can see that around um, the, the 13th. And I think it's looking for a specific remote code execution bug in Linksys, this mm -hmm. tmblock.cgi that's been known for a while. This seems to be trending upwards. I think uh, that's one port of interest for me. I don't know that it's present on that port, but the traffic that we've seen related to it seems to suggest that it thinks it is. Or at least they continue to try and scan for it. So. Uh, it's another one to keep an eye on if you happen to have this. So scan flows on port 27019 TCP. This actually did not make it to the top 10 or even the top 20, but we did see an alert from the baseline. And this is a 30 day view of those scan flows. And you can see a single source in Canada, a single source in China for these, but someone is very interested in scanning these ports. The interesting thing about a MongoDB database is that it's a NoSQL database. And typically, um, you wouldn't expose it to the internet, but some people do. Sometimes people will misconfigure them, expose them directly to the internet, and put a whole bunch of valuable data in them. And in some database systems, and I'm not positive about MongoDB, but some of them have like a, a way to execute system commands as well, as long as you connect to the database. Yeah, way back I remember a denial of service attack that was extremely effective. You basically just told the, the server, it was a database server, and you told it to run a complete diagnostic check on the system. And it stopped responding to all the users and whatever oh, its purpose no. was. Uh, so you don't want that to be something you can run over the internet unauthenticated.
And that's the uh, internet weather for this week. Nice. A little snow coming down, too. little snow, too. That's just regular weather, though. We don't call that internet weather. <laughs> the views expressed on AT&T Threat Track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.